Well, welcome everyone. This is our um, 10 Days Pentecost teaching hour. Our speaker tonight, who is uh, Gaylord Enns, is um, going to introduce Gaylord and then we'll turn it over to him. Gaylord is a longtime pastor in Northern California um, in the city of Chico. Uh, he and I have been friends for a number of years now. And Gaylord um, really made a firm commitment to Jesus during the Jesus People Movement. And uh, all of a sudden found himself leading and pastoring um, a college group in Northern California. And so he really kind of grew up in revival. And um, out of that, he pastored a church for many, many years, uh, a local church there in Chico. And then, um, you know, probably about 20 years ago at this point, the Lord really encountered him with um, Jesus' new commandment in John 13, 34 to 35. And that has become something of a life, just a life calling and a life message for Gaylord um, to encourage the body to love one another um, just as Jesus has loved us. And so Gaylord is definitely a spiritual father um, to myself and, and many of us. He's really, um, someone that we just hold in the highest esteem and we're really honored to have him with us here tonight. So, or I, I tonight, tomorrow, whatever, whatever time it is, I'm just going to say my time because it's, it's too hard for me to think about everyone. <laughs> so Gaylord, over to you, brother. Hey, uh, Jonathan, thank you, dear friend. And it's uh, great to see all of you today and to just be part of uh, this 10 days prayer that's happening around the globe. What a uh, an amazing gift this is uh, for us. And I really appreciate your prayers. I am in a season personally with a group of other people praying for revival. We are just diligently leaning into God because as we look at our world, we just see that we very much need to have a revival. And um, uh, many years ago in 1991, 99, I'm sorry, uh, we had a prophetic uh, leader came through our city and prophesied over our town and said, there's going to be a revival here. It is not going to be like the one you've seen in some other places. It's going to be a revival of love. Well, that didn't um, mean so much uh, to me at the time, but when I saw Jesus' commandment, and I realized how, how, how long I had missed this commandment, it really uh, began to take on a new meaning to me. So I'm going to share with you today, and I'm going to uh, uh, just, I'm, I'm going to talk about two great commandments. Um, the first one will be of the law of Moses, and then the great commandments of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, most of us are much more familiar with the first ones than we are the second even though the second ones are strategic for this season that we live in and for this revival. So uh, I'll be giving many scriptures as you go along. I would encourage you to have a pencil, paper, uh, pen handy to be able to write down uh, verses as we uh, go through this time together. The two great commandments, I'm calling it, of the law of Moses and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, we all know that the Bible is made up of two parts. The Old Testament, uh, uh, starting in, in Genesis, uh, and the Old Covenant, which was given at Mount Sinai particularly, and then the New Testament or the New Covenant. 
which um, uh, began to be written uh, with Jesus and his coming. And so we're very familiar with that. The Old Testament is also known as Moses, the law, the law of Moses, the law and the prophets, the Psalms, the Torah, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. So there's a number of names that uh, many of you are familiar with and it's known by. And I want to look today at the two great commandments of the law of Moses and then the two great commandments of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just to make clear what this uh, may look like. You remember that there was a teacher who came to Jesus uh, and he asked him a question. He said, uh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him very clearly, very definitively from Deuteronomy chapter six and Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, he replied to him and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So many of us are very familiar with this. And I think uh, what I would like to just point out is the question here is about the law, the law given by God to Moses at Mount Sinai and delivered to the children of Israel as they were waiting at the base of the mountain. And um, we, we see here that uh, Jesus had actually been born under the law. He lived his entire life under the law. And the expert in the law who was asking him this question, of course, was the same. He had lived his whole life under the law. And so we see uh, Jesus, uh, this certainly sets up the, the picture for us. And it's important for us to realize that Jesus, of course, did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He says in Matthew 5, 17, he didn't come to do that, but he came to fulfill them. He said, I tell you the, the truth, heaven and earth will not disappear. In the smallest letter, the least stroke of the pen, um, until the law, everything in the law is accomplished. So we recognize that very clearly. In fact, Jesus uh, himself said, everything uh, must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And we all certainly uh, recognize that as we see it. In Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John the Baptist but there was a shift then that took place since that time. The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And so we see that with the coming of John the Baptist, there was a clear uh, a delineation that came in the message. And from then on, the kingdom of God, the, the uh, good news of the kingdom was being proclaimed as they were preparing to receive the Lord. So the question that I would ask, if the great commandments of the old covenant, the law and the prophets, were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself, what are the great commandments of the new covenant, uh, which is the covenant that we have been privileged to live under because of the Lord Jesus Christ? And to answer this question, we have to look back into uh, the, the prophets and the Psalms uh, and the law that was given by Moses. So a very interesting thing happens for me when I look back into the Psalms, and it starts in Psalms in the 30th, uh, 33rd Psalm, 
David begins to say something very different that we've not seen before. He begins to say, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And then he begins to say, declare his glory among the nations, his marvels among all people. Ascribe to the Lord, O nations, uh, families of nations, glory and strength. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So what stands out to me is this new song that is literally going to encompass the earth, the nations, the peoples, the families of nations. And say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We are literally around the globe here today. Uh, and this is so relevant. But this was new because Israel was very much separated unto God. And they were not focused on the nations at that point. So this was indeed a new song that was being sung. Now, interestingly enough, uh, is that this was about a thousand years before Jesus was born, that David spoke that. About 400 years later, Isaiah is on the scene, the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah 42, uh, 9 and 10, we see this stunning parallel. He says, behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare before they spring forth. I tell you, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. So this is stunning that both now David, a thousand years before Christ came, but now we see Isaiah beginning to sing about, speak about this new song, and again, talk about the ends of the earth. And it's, it's an expansive vision, which I believe is preparing us for the new thing that the prophets were awakening Israel to. So he declares a new thing, and in the next chapter, Isaiah says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? Uh, I'm making a way in the desert, streams in the wasteland. This is an incredible prophetic word, which takes the theme that David announced some 400 years earlier, it's that new song, it's that new thing that Isaiah began to combine with the new song. It has to do with nations, uh, the people from literally around the globe. So the, the question would be this, um, if I were, uh, we were all in the same room uh, in physical, uh, physically, and um, I were to, uh, to say, or Jonathan were to say to me, Gaylord, uh, would you go get that thing over there? The, the question that I would say to Jonathan was this. I would say, what thing? What thing do you want? I need more information. Uh, I need to know what that is. And that's what I think we would do when we look at Isaiah and say, so what is the new thing you're doing? And they had to wait another hundred years before they found out what that new thing was. And it came in about the year 600 with Jeremiah the prophet. And he says in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, he says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So this is an answer to the question, what is this new song? What is this new thing that Isaiah and David are seeing? 
what is this uh, thing that we need to anticipate coming? Now, Jeremiah begins to speak. It is a new covenant that God's going to make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And the first thing God wants them to know is it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. So as God is saying, I'm going to do a new thing. It's going to be a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made at Mount Sinai. It's going to be different. And so we we see this amazing anticipation that is like, oh, something is coming. Um, so uh, when we look at uh, what happened at Mount Sinai, we know that in Exodus chapter 20, uh, we find God giving the law, uh, the commandments, uh, in giving them to Moses, and Moses brings them down. They're on stone, they're tablets, and you know the story. But when we look in Isaiah chapter 20, we can see there are 10 thou shalt nots. And we, we would all agree uh, with all of them. All of them are something that we would say, yeah, these are good. Um, but the interesting thing for us to note in that God says, I'm going to make a different covenant. It's not going to be like the one I made it at, at uh, Mount Sinai. He says this through his prophet. So you begin to look and say, where are the differences? And you begin to see it uh, through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, which are contemporaries. They both lived about 600 years before Jesus was born. And uh, what we see is that the language begins to change from thou shalt not to God saying, I will, I will, I will, I will. It was a, a, an amazing change. For example, uh, Jeremiah 31, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law in their inner parts and write it on their hearts. I will forgive their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. I will be your God. I will save you from your uncleanness. Um, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. So I, I hope you're beginning to anticipate the significance of what's going to be announced in this new song, this new thing, this actually a new covenant, which is coming to us, because in it, our focus is going to shift from our finite ability to love God to God's infinite ability to love us. And we call that grace. It literally is God enabling us to uh, live out and love the way he calls us to in this new covenant reality. So we, we now fast forward another 600 years to the time of John the Baptist, who we know will announce the birth of Jesus. And so Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, The time has come, John the Baptist said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is, a, is a, an amazing uh, season. Now, to go back again to Moses, maybe 1,300, 1,500 years earlier, God had spoken through Moses, and he said, I am going to raise up a prophet from among your brothers. He will be, um, he'll be like you, Moses. 
You must listen to him. So the people for 1300 years had been waiting for this prophet that was going to be like Moses who would be raised up, one that they had to listen to. They had to hear what he had to say. So it's interesting now. Uh, here's John the Baptist now uh, uh, down at the Jordan, and the people come to him with this question. Are you the prophet? Because they have been waiting uh, 1,300 plus years for the prophet that God had told them was coming. And, and John answers the question. He says, no, I'm just the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. But then the next day, in 1 John 1, 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And, uh, and he said, behold, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, my goodness. This is one of those absolutely hallelujah moments as we see Jesus, uh, literally the one, our Savior, being introduced uh, to um, the large, to, to the world. And that first statement is so expansive, who takes away the sin of the world. So. We do see this in Luke chapter 16, verse 18, and it says, The law and the prophets, they were proclaimed until John the Baptist. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God has been preached. And what we see is that the promised Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, he had come, and he had come to show us the Father, and to anyone who would follow him, would trust in him, would believe in him, uh, would begin to make him uh, their master. He was going to reveal the Father. And so we know that for 300 years, we saw what Jesus did. I mean, how he taught the multitudes, how he fed them, uh, how he worked miracles, how he healed the sick, uh, lepers, even raised the dead. And uh, above all, we saw how he went to the cross. And I want to take us to that night before he goes to the cross, uh, the night of Passover, which we are all familiar with. And you have to recognize that on that, when they gathered that night, Jesus with his disciples, with the 12, there had been some 600 years of scriptural silence concerning the promised new covenant, the new song, the new thing, uh, the new covenant that was spoken of uh, from the prophets. But that night, you know, Jesus had the last supper that uh, he, he laid aside his clothing afterward and took a towel and he washed his disciples feet. Uh, and he announced to them that he would be leaving and they would not be able to follow him. But the amazing thing is that night, on that Passover night before he was crucified, he broke 600 years of scriptural silence where we've not heard the word new covenant when he announces the new covenant. The scripture says in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Oh, this is, 
um, friends, oh, around this, this moment changes the world. Jesus has announced this long-promised new covenant. The prophet who was spoken of by Moses is now here. Messiah has come, and he was introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and now he is taking the cup and saying words that have never been said before. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The interesting thing is, um, dear friends, and I missed this for so many years in my life, actually for decades in my ministry, that that same night that Jesus announced a new covenant, he gave us a new commandment. It's found in John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Uh, when I saw this uh, 20 years ago, it was a very unique moment for me. When I saw it, I was so stunned because I had read it many times, but I had never clearly seen it for what it was and the significance that it had, the new covenant. I'd missed it. And it was so shocking to me just to see that. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, uh, in that moment, I thought, I am the only one who's missed this. All of my friends know this. Um, uh, and and uh, it just, it was too, um, I, I just didn't think to, uh, uh, to, I, I just couldn't imagine that other people had missed this too. And so that day I was so shocked and I began uh, to look through church history. Sadly, what I have to tell you today is I wasn't the only one that had missed it. This commandment has been pushed off the table very early in church history. Uh, probably by the year 200, this commandment was becoming obscured. And we see no mention of it in our historic creeds or confessions of faith. Uh, most uh, missionary movements and denominations make no mention of this new commandment uh, that is given to us. And friends, uh, one of the reasons I, I, I mourn and grieve, I, I went through two years of just repentance for me and for us as the body of Christ, missing the fact that Jesus gave us uh, on the same day a new commandment along with a new covenant. And that same evening, he owned this new commandment as my commandment. He says in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Then he says in John 15, 17, this is my command, love each other. And I was so grieved that I had missed uh, this strategic connection. So what I would say to you, I believe, is a very significant, uh, very, uh, great significance tonight. As we are repenting, we are praying, 
uh, we are expecting revival to begin to come globally. I believe soon, uh, maybe the greatest revival that we have seen. Uh, I believe it is absolutely imperative that we see the new covenant and the new commandment come back together again uh, after these centuries, after uh, over 1,800 years. The early church loved each other deeply, and they were known for their love. But when we look back through our history uh, in, in uh, the, uh, the decades that followed, Many times we have, a, as the church, have not been seen as loving one another. Uh, we have actually, uh, there's incredible atrocities that believers have committed toward other believers. And it breaks my heart that we have missed uh, the significance of this new covenant and the new commandment that Jesus gave with it. So I'm praying in this revival, I believe what will make this revival an authentic display of the John 17 unity, I believe it will be the love that we as believers have for one another. And this amazing uh, opportunity for us to show and demonstrate the reality. Uh, even as John uh, Jesus prayed in John 17, may they be one even as we are one that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He says, Father, I've made you known to them, and I'm going to continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I may be in them. This is not a small point for the revival that we are praying for uh, in this season. You do, uh, we all know that some 50 days after the Passover feast, uh, the historic feast of Pentecost came and it would be celebrated. And as you know, there was a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, that took place uh, on that occasion. And it was not, remember, the, Jesus had said to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. And typically, um, we have uh, thought about the gifts and the power uh, uh, gifts that have been given and be, were displayed beginning with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But we also must recognize it's not just the power um, uh, for signs and wonders. It is the power of people who supernaturally are given the ability to love one another as they have been loved by God and to demonstrate something that the world desperately needs in this moment. So it was not until they had been clothed with power, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of heaven, that they were ready to proclaim the good news to all the nations starting there at Jerusalem. So here's a question that we come to as we're looking at the two great commandments. So what are the two great commandments in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are they? And I, I, I'm not an expert in the law, 
but I am a new covenant believer. And so I think I have the right to ask that question. Uh, just like this person had the, you know, the, the right to come up to Jesus and ask him what he thought was a trick question. But, um, but Jesus gave him a straight answer. So I would, in my prayers, I've said, Jesus, what are the great commandments of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of this new covenant? What are they? And interestingly enough, they're, they're clearly stated in John, John the Beloved's first letter. It's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. I would urge you to write this down and to memorize this with me and make it a part of how you express and communicate what the new covenant is about. Because John says this, and I would encourage you later to read the context of it. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Now, this could seem a little confusing to begin with, but when we look at it a little closer, if you look at the context in 1 John chapter 3, you'll see that he, John is speaking there of God as the Father. And so when he comes to this verse, what he is saying is this, and this is his, that is God the Father's command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. So that's the first part. And to love one another as he, that is Jesus Christ, God's son, commanded us. Wow. I, when I saw this, I was just stunned because they are the great commandments of the new covenant. The father's command that we believe in his son and the son's command that we just read that we love one another. So these are uh, just simply uh, what we have understood as Christianity, particularly the first part, uh, we've all understood John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we understand the Father's command that we believe in his Son. This was a part of what was recovered in the Reformation in the 1500s. Uh, but the interesting thing is that's just part of uh, the great commandments. There's a second part to it, that we love one another as Jesus Christ, God's son, commanded us. And you, you have to understand the reason that in the Greek language, the word command is used twice in that verse. It's because there are two commandments. One is the father's command that we believe in his son's. And the other is the son's command that we love one another. Those are the two great commandments of the new covenant. There's nothing in scripture that is more significant than, uh, than that passage, I believe. It's stunning. And I'll cite some references for you uh, to just uh, underscore this. Now, it wasn't just John who saw this. Uh, the apostle Paul saw this in his writings. And listen to how he expresses this uh, as he writes different letters to different churches in the cities. For example, in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 15, 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, 
I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Do you see the two pieces there? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for all the saints. The first one is the Father's command that we believe in the Son. And the second thing that uh, Paul saw was the command that Jesus had given that we love one another. And he took, when he saw those two things happening, he took it to mean there is authentic Christian discipleship going on here. There are people who are actually believing the great commandments of the new covenant and their lives are living out this reality. They were authentic disciples. Well, he writes a letter to, um, to uh, Philemon. And he says, I, I always want to thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the first command. And your love for all the saints. So we see very clearly here uh, that uh, he saw this same thing and recognized it in his friend Philemon. Those were two things that he was looking for. There's also uh, the Colossian letter. When, when he wrote, Paul wrote to Colossae, uh, as he opens the letter, verses three and four, he says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Now, the reason I'm taking a little bit of extra time here to, to give you Paul's um, expression of these two great commandments or his application to it, I believe it is imperative that we understand that what John said in, in uh, 1 John 3.23, it's not a one-off, what we would call a one-off statement. This was, in fact, something that the Apostle Paul, as he wrote uh, his New Testament letters, clearly was embracing also. For example, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, they had been in Thessalonica. You know the story from uh, the book of Acts. Um, and uh, the host, uh, their trouble broke out as they were presenting the gospel. And uh, Paul had to flee for his life. And as he's uh, fleeing uh, in the cover of darkness, he doesn't get a chance to say goodbye to these new believers in Thessalonica. And so he, he, he couldn't stand not knowing how they're doing. So he sends Timothy uh, back to see them. And when he writes this letter, he says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you. And he brought us good news about your faith and your love. Those were the two things that the Apostle Paul was specifically wanting to hear about. Now, probably before I saw Jesus' commandment, I would have just simply thought, well, their faith in God and their love for God. But the command was more specific. The Father's command that was we believe in the Son, His Son, and His Son's command was that we love one another. So uh, it wasn't until we could see the second letter that he sent that we see that Paul clearly embraced the commandments as they had been given. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, as he opens the letter, verse 3, we are always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so. Because, number one, your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. 
these two great commandments are inseparable for authentic Christianity. We must embrace the Father's command to believe in the Son and the Son's command that we love one another. So here's a question that we have to consider. Is there a difference between living under the great commandments of the, the old covenant, the law, and living under the great commandments of the new covenant or the gospel? Is there a difference? Does it matter? Um, certainly there is nothing at all wrong with loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or your neighbors yourself. But there's something in the new covenant that takes us beyond that in a very practical expression. Because the old covenant is based on our finite or limited ability to love God and to love our neighbor. How, how many of us have been frustrated, um, as many of the monastics have, when they devoted their life to say, I'm going to try to love God with everything in me, all my heart, my, my, my soul, my mind, my strength. I'm going to try to love God with everything in me all day long. And at the end of the day, having to hang our head and say, I'll have to try harder tomorrow. I will have to try more because I don't think I saw that I, my, I saw areas where I could have loved him more. Uh, I could have loved other people around me more, my neighbors. I, 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 I will need to try harder. The old covenant was based on our finite or limited ability to love God and to love our neighbor. The new covenant, which Jesus gave to us uh, with new great commandments, is based on God's infinite or unlimited ability to love us and to empower us by the Holy Spirit to love one another. And this is so significant for us. The old covenant would look like this with you in the center and you loving God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you loving your neighbor as you love yourself. This would be uh, illustrative of the old covenant. But what we see is that when uh, Jesus came and he announced the new covenant in his blood and gave us a new commandment, there was a shift that took place, a very significant shift. It was not a change in God, but it was a change in emphasis. He was going to do something different because we had failed to keep the old covenant uh, as he wanted. There was more that he was looking for from us. So there's a shift that takes place. And that shift is the emphasis of God's love for us. And when we look through the New Testament, we see many verses that clearly tell us this. And it's, it's astonishing uh, for me that I missed this for so many years of ministry, that his love for us is literally uh, throughout the New Testament. It's, it's the clearest thing once our eyes have been opened to see how significant his love for us is. One of those verses is, that is found in there. It's 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Do you see the shift? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Oh, my goodness, that he loved us. 
And this is so significant because in Romans 5, 5, it tells us that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. This is what Pentecost uh, is about. It's a significant part of Pentecost. I appreciate all the gifts that he gives, but they must flow in the river of his love. They must flow. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 makes it very clear. We have to use them in love. He said, if we have faith, it could move mountains. We have knowledge. We understand everything. We, we do all these powerful things, but we don't have love. It doesn't profit us because God is love and he, what he does must flow out of the river of his love. The miracles that God works, uh, it's not uh, just to make us famous or known by many people. It's to make him known. And it's his love that distinguishes the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given to us. To go back to this picture, notice that the new covenant, here's what it looks like now. It's now God who pours his love into us. He becomes the primary mover. He becomes the I will, I will, I will. And he empowers us to love one another in the body of Christ, our neighbors in the secular sense of the word, and even those people that have made themselves our enemies. He gives us the ability to love as we could never love on our own human ability. So we go back to this verse that was in this long list of verses that I showed you, 1 John 4, 10, and add verse 11. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Can you say that with me? Love one another. Do you see how how God is? It, it, it's like um, he is wanting to get the love that is heaven. And in that realm that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have dwelt in, he's wanting to get that love down here on earth. And how many of you know it's desperately needed? All around us, we see the incredible need for people who have received the love of heaven and are able to love one another. Um, so this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the father's command. And to love one another as he, that is Jesus the son, commanded us. I trust that you will embrace this verse of scripture. And I want to close just by looking back at some of our church history uh, because I, I want to bring up the names of three leaders who made a specific comment about this verse, 1 John 3, 23. First is Martin Luther. He says, behold, this is the Christian life. And in brief, it does not need, not need much doctrine or many books. It is wholly contained in faith and love. Thus also says St. Paul, Galatians 6, 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Calvin was a significant uh, person in the Reformed Church. 
that came uh, out of the Reformation. Here's what John Calvin said. Uh, he, he wrote commentaries on almost all the books of the New Testament. Uh, and the last one he did was 1 John. And here's what he said when he got to verse 23. If it be our purpose to obey his commands, let us see what he commands. He does not separate faith from love, but he requires both together from us. This is a remarkable passage, for he defines briefly as well as lucidly in what the whole perfection of a holy life consists. And then John Wesley. Here's what John Wesley wrote about this verse. And this is his commandment, all his commandments in one word, that we should believe and love in the manner and decree uh, with which he hath taught. This is the greatest and most important commandments that ever issued from the throne of glory. So we see here, I've pointed out two great commandments of the law of Moses. Uh, that was Jesus' answer when asked about the law. We happen to be living under a new covenant. And there are two great commandments in this new covenant. It's to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to love one another as he has commanded us. So today, uh, I, I thank you for the privilege of sharing something that I believe is absolutely essential for the revival that I believe is coming very soon. Uh, my prayer, as I certainly need it personally, my prayer is that it is a global revival that touches every one of us around this world. Uh, a major in-gathering, but also a, um, a, a, a revolution in the church, a love revolution that takes us back to the command the Father gave and that the Son gave to us. Thank you. Sure, a privilege to be with you, Jonathan, and friends around the world. So I just encourage all of us. You know, um, we, I would encourage you to be great receivers of the love of heaven. Because it's only as, I, as we receive that we can give. You can't give away what you don't have. But I'm praying just now, I'm going to pray that God is going to so fill every one of us and outpour into the Holy Spirit. And I want you to get ready to receive uh, because that God will so fill us. He will literally again pour in the love of heaven into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we will experience the transformational work of grace as we are able to give what we have so freely received. We're able to give it to others around us. The world is desperate. And for us to be authentic witnesses of this good news, uh, we need to communicate this message with the love of heaven. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for myself and for all of us. So, Father, Father, we thank you You're, for your great love for us, Lord. Oh, Father. Uh, you, you have loved us uh, before we ever loved you. And you have so graciously uh, chosen to reveal your love to us, particularly through your son, Jesus, as he came and was born among us. 
and surrendered his life fully to your plan and lived out the reality of what it looked like uh, to keep your laws and your commandments and then paid the price for us, becoming the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Lord, you've, you've paid such a price. Your love is unfathomable. But would you now from heaven and by the Holy Spirit pour into each of us around the globe, Lord, literally fill us with the love of heaven. Fill us like we've never been filled before. And Lord, let that love become so strong in us that we are broken with the greatness of the love and that you will literally begin to release it like rivers of living water from us uh, to begin to carry the love out to others, that love that carries the message of the gospel, that carries the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that embraces people with heaven's embrace, something so many have never felt. I thank you for hearing the prayer and answering this prayer and you being glorified like never before. Lord, we're asking you, for the greatest revival that has ever come around planet Earth. Uh, we desperately need it in these end times. And we're asking you to accomplish this in Jesus' name, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.